Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey, welcome listeners to a new episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. For tonight, I'm Aaron, your QB1. And with me making this offense fire on all cylinders are my best friend and co-host, Patrick, tough as a van, Hicks. What's up, y'all? And special guest, longtime listener, holder of terrible Captain America opinions, but most importantly, an Razorback alum and major fan, JB, the boss, Huffman. Woo pig, I'm here, y'all. Oh, that's just the best. You win the guest award already. And I love the nickname, too, by the way. I figured since you're really flying high on the uh, Bruce Springsteen musical right now that that was a fair nickname to give you. Yes, it was. I appreciate it. (laughs) You're welcome. Well, listeners, we are all three huge college football fans, and we are pretty excited to be kicking off the start of the season this week by discussing one of our favorite movies featuring the sport. And it's actually going to be the first of two episodes on films that were adapted from Buzz Bissinger's best-selling book, Friday Night Lights. We're going to get into that soon, but first, we want to let you know about two things. Number one, patron voting for September's Donor Pick episode is taking place now through September the 10th. We're going to be discussing one of five rom-coms. Those are Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail, Notting Hill, About Time, or Pretty Woman. To gain votes and access to our bonus content library, plus next month's conversation about why we love rom-coms with Miss Erin Hunley, you can visit patreon.com slash feelinfilm and sign up to become a supporter. And number two on the announcement list is very exciting for us. We have a merch store, something we have long wanted to do. And that's right, you can now purchase your own Feelin' Film swag, which we know you all want. There is apparel, there is cell phone cases, there are coffee cups, notebooks, there are pillows. Pillows. I'm getting a Feelin' Film pillow, you should too. A variety of styles, colors, all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, part of the proceeds of all of the stuff in this store will obviously go to supporting us. So you get something cool and you help promote the show at the same time. Check it out at tpublic.com dot com slash user slash feeling film. That's tpublic.com slash user slash feeling film. Go buy something today. Would it be safe to say, Aaron, that these these guys should not sleep on that opportunity to get buy themselves to buy a pillow? That's right. That's right. I'll sleep on. You know, and if we put you to sleep, yep. you should yep. buy a pillow for that reason too. Boom. Just, right yeah. there. <laughs> Either way, we the pillow works. Well we are going to be discussing Varsity Blues, as we always do, in full, that means we're going to talk spoilers. This film is 20 years old, so if you haven't seen it, you can seek out a copy. Check it out. It's a great time of year to watch it because it's football season. But you've been warned. Turn away. If you haven't seen the movie, come back later. JB, it's great to have you, and we like to always start with our guests. So we're going to kick off one-word takeaways with yours. Yeah, my one-word takeaway is genuine. I played high school football. We we discussed that earlier. Uh, apparently, I'm the only one here who did. Um, yes, yes, you are. <laughs> uh, but it really is like that in a small southern town. No, I did not grow up in Texas. Thank the Lord for that. By the grace of God, I was born and raised in the beautiful state of Arkansas, the natural state. But, you know, it's still a small southern town. 
still very similar to the way that it was depicted in the movie. You know, obviously some things were different. We we don't have a we didn't have a head cheerleader that was a groupie like Darcy, but um, I'm willing to bet that those do exist out there. I assume. But the heartthrob quarterback was like a god on campus. And, you know, the coach can get really competitive and lose sight of the fact that, you know, he is first and foremost a mentor of young men. Also, the players do get away with just about anything they want. (laughs) Yeah, I can remember the chief of police catching us drinking and drag racing and never said a word. Uh, other than maybe, you know, y'all should go home. (laughs) And I also remember a cop who used to buy beer for us. You know, like the store owner in the movie buys or gives a six pack to Moxon. But, you know, this is an actual cop who's in it for us. My goodness. But yeah, it's it's like that, man. I mean, so it's genuine, not just genuine in that that's the way it happens, but it's genuine in that I like movies that are just, you know, down to earth. And that's what this movie is to me. Um, I love my fantasy superhero kind of stuff, which I really get into as, as Aaron discussed earlier, how much I don't like cap, but I, it's just really nice to sit down and watch something that is just, you know, really down to earth and genuine and, and relatable. That's great. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you are here to give us that perspective because it's one that we probably have lots of assumptions about, but you're there to kind of validate some of that for us and make us feel better about what we thought already. Patrick, what is your one word takeaway? Well, I I think the word that stands out to me is the word pressure. And when it comes to high school football, I think that especially with a successful football team, which I can safely say during my high school years, our school was not very successful. If we beat our rival, that was kind of a win for us and probably the only win that we could really hang our head on our hat on. Excuse me. But the idea of being from a small town and having that be the thing that really defines who you are as a player, as a person, as a human being. I really felt that kind of pressure that the characters were really emitting for various reasons. You know, you got all these different pockets of folks that from coaches to parents to their kids, all trying to be something that is more significant than they think they are. And for a lot of these folks, it's about high school and that's kind of where it ends. And so I think this movie does a fantastic job of depicting that kind of pressure and how it brings itself kind of looming over the major players that are in this movie. Yep, I would agree with yours as well. Well, my word was heroes. And when the movie ended, I couldn't stop thinking about this one word. And and this is probably the... 30, 40th time I've seen this movie. I, I don't know. I've lost count. It's a lot, a whole lot. One of the most I've ever seen a movie in my life, to be honest. There's even a song in this film that calls out specifically the word and the idea of heroes. Cause I, but I think Varsity Blues does a wonderful job of showing us what West Texas football was and probably to some extent still is like in the immense hero worship of high school football players. Kind of like you alluded to, J.D., it's a great journey to go down in this movie. And it's fun to see it juxtaposed between Kilmer, who is considered the hero of the town for his winning. And he's making the push to make the boys feel like heroes. He's trying to sell them on this glory for doing the same and bringing more glory to him. 
And then we have Mox's ultimate realization that being a hero isn't really about getting the win or the loss, but it's why you do what you do and whether or not you're giving it your all. And we have these great messages in this movie about heroes. It's not just here to prop someone up and have us worship along with them. Um, and when he gets that kiss from Jules at the end, after saying, I thought you only kissed heroes, I think it's the perfect exclamation point for the movie to end with. Um, because it helps us state really clearly what a hero is and then shows us through Kilmer um, what it isn't. And so for me, this viewing particularly, I just really keyed in on, on that aspect of the film. Well, the first thing I want to talk to you guys a bit about is just why we're here, why we're doing this movie, why we're doing this movie right now on the first week of September. And the question I have is, why do we love movies about football and what makes these movies better to watch during this time of year? And JB, we usually kick it to you to start with, and I'm definitely kicking this to you to start with because you have been petitioning for this movie for a couple years now. Um, and so here we are, paying it up. Um, so w- what is it about football movies that is so awesome for you? Uh, well, I mean, it is the ultimate team sport. You can't really compare it to anything out there because you've got at least a couple dozen guys who, and you need every single one of them to perform well to, you know, to achieve the common goal of winning a game, um, or at least do it better than the other team. Um, but it kind of speaks to that, that spirit of, of working together as a team. I don't know. To me, it just kind of, it really, it translates to life too. I mean, you know, anytime that you're working with a group, I mean, it's, you're always for the better, uh, because different people have different strengths. You know, relationships are important and you really see relationships, uh, in football movies because, you know, there's, they have a relationship on the field and they have a relationship on the field. So you see the multi dimensions there of the relationships between the, the, the players. But as far as this time of the year, Cold weather brings depression. <laughs> so, you know, this time of the year, it's it's really nice to just watch a bunch of kids uh, playing a big game. And it's therapeutic and nostalgic because it reminds us of a simpler time in life when winning a game of any kind of sport really was the most important thing to us. And, you know, it was our biggest worry in life because, <laughs> you know, as you get older, you know, things get a lot more stressful. And so you kind of look back like, wow, I was really worried about this. It's really nice to just kind of look back and watch this. <laughs> you know, That's my perspective anyway. Well, I would agree. I think it's a perspective of simplicity and being able to not just look back for nostalgia reasons, but when you think about high school football, even in terms of where we are as a culture, high school football feels a lot more pure than anything else. I mean, for the most part, public schools don't recruit. I mean, these are kids that come in and you are kind of given this crew of kids. And you, as a coach, you have to work with what you got. Um, I know in central Arkansas, we have private schools that sort of skirt around that where we convince kids to come to certain schools and they give them scholarships. So dismissing that, I think the public school aspect and Friday Night Lights and Varsity Blues both depict this public school life. This game, high school football, is very much the purest form of of sport. When you get into college, then you start talking about television exposure and do we 
pay these players for their performance and all these different things that come up. Whereas with high school football, you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about this is what you do on Friday nights. You go to the stadium and you cheer your team and you have these crazy chants and you have cheerleaders and you have a band. And you can make that argument for college, but I think there's something really great about the confinement of a small town in particular where high school football is the thing that defines them. I mean, there are some schools that have basketball as their central focus, schools in Indiana for sure, but in the South, Arkansas, in Texas, Louisiana, these states and the towns that really make up these states, it's all about football. It's all about making Friday night the magical night of the week. It's where you have stores that shut down because that's what's important. And there's something to be said about the magic of that, about thinking that when you look forward to something that pure and that magical at the end of the week, it's something to look forward to. I mean, we feel that same way about Saturday, you know, college football. I was joking with my brother tonight. He said, what'd you do this weekend? I said, I did nothing but sit on my couch and watch football all day. And I didn't care really about half the games I was watching. I just enjoyed watching the games. But being at a stadium and seeing these high school kids, these 16, 17, 18 year old kids just gutting it out because not because they're looking for the paycheck. Yes, they're looking for a scholarship, but more than anything, they're playing to win. They're playing because they're part of a team. They're part of something that's special and they're part of something that could be special that leads to a district or a state championship. Yeah, I think you guys are both on the money. Um, I would say for me, I would add just that in general, I enjoy watching whatever sporting movie it is in the midst of that sports season. So that's why the fall and football movies just go hand in hand, primarily because I am watching a lot of football. I'm watching football on Saturdays. I'm watching some football on Sundays here and there. And I'm plugged into that world. And for me, it's about synergy. So I watch a movie about the thing that I watched in actual reality, and it just goes so well together. You know, if I am going to go on a murder mystery cruise, I would probably want to watch a murder mystery comedy, of, you know, with Jennifer Aniston or something. You know, I, but it, those things go well together. If you're going to go visit a location on a vacation, it would be cool to watch movies that are similar to that. Um, or that feature that location. And so for that reason, and then I love what you were saying, JB, about like football, how it's the ultimate team sport. And because there's so many people, it also is a sport that every single game matters extremely, extremely more than, than most sports. So when you're watching a high school football movie, the pressure, it's easier to feel that than it is like in a basketball movie. In a basketball movie to go through a season, you've got to, cut through like three months, four or five months, you know, of like all these different games and, and you're only going to get little snippets of each one. And in high school football, if you're showing or, or college football movie, whatever it is in football, if you're showing, you know, snippets of two or three games, you're getting like, you know, a quarter or more of the season at that point. So it just is a bigger deal. And so it makes the movies, I feel like, hold a lot more weight and they're just better. They're better than other sports because of that. It's harder for other sports to reach that, in my opinion. All right, well, one more before we get into this film specifically and its themes. On IMDb, when I was looking this up, 
I found that the genres listed were comedy, drama, romance, and sports. And I joked on Facebook that, oh my gosh, they didn't even put sports in the list, but in reality it's because IMDb's listing them alphabetical, so I'll give them a slight pass on that. But someone commented on my Facebook post and suggested that this movie isn't really even about football, that football is just the backdrop. And so it kind of got me thinking about what I would say to argue that, because I definitely was going to argue that. What do you consider that makes a movie a sports movie versus a movie about that sport as the backdrop? And I would say the comparison to make here is likely how people usually argue about Christmas movies. Is it a movie that is about Christmas, the event, or is it a movie that is set in December during the holiday times? So where do you think Varsity Blues falls, and what makes it a football movie, JB? Well, I was thinking about that today. Every sports movie is going to have some degree of drama off the field, on the field, whatever. Um, I don't really recall any movie where you know winning games were plot points. Remember the Titans was about race. Rudy was about overcoming your shortcomings. You know, White Men Can't Jump was about gambling and the problems that it causes. I mean, sports movies aren't really about sports anyway. I mean, any of them. Yeah, I mean, they follow along. Like, to me, Varsity Blues, they're, they're still following a sport. I don't think it's fair to say that any sports movie isn't a sports movie because a lot of people will say that, for example... A lot of people say that For Love of the Game is not a sports movie. But my question is, have those people ever pitched before? Because the whole movie takes place on a pitcher's mound. That's one of the loneliest places in sports. Like, so, of course, people are going to let their minds wander and, you know, think about things that have happened in the past because they're really just trying to not folk, they're trying to not overthink what's going on right now especially he, this guy's throwing a perfect game he's really trying to not overthink it because he's going to mess up if he does uh so he's thinking about things that happened in his past and he's just throwing the ball right afterwards you know like he's it's it's real life like it you can say it's not a sports movie but it is it happens in sports people think about other things um but the way i look at it is you know varsity blues it follows the last four games of a high school sports team. What happens, the ups and downs, uh, where they kind of hit rock bottom and lose to a, to a team that they're not supposed to because they went out drinking the night before. It is a sports movie. It's about a sports team and it's like, it uses it. Uh, it goes through like the individual games and everything that happens in between on and off the field. Off the field matters because it translates onto the field. What happens off the field? I would say when I when I think about a sports movie, it really all comes down to the fact of would you watch this if you weren't a fan of the actual sport? And I think that from my takeaway, from my standpoint, it would take more for me to get into a movie about stock car racing if it was something that didn't interest me. So I'm not a big fan of stock car racing, but I like Days of Thunder quite a bit. Is it a sports movie? Absolutely it is, because the central focus is about racing and rubbing being racing specifically. 
same thing with for the love of the game. I think it's a fantastic analogy to look at for love of the game because it all does take place on a pitcher's mound, but it's all about his life as well. And so I think when it comes to a sports movie, Friday Night Lights, you could probably argue, is about the team and their journey because it really does come down to them winning games and having a perfect season or having a season where the outcome of the game matters to progress the plot line. But there's also other stuff that goes along with that, and rightly so. If it were just about the journey of a team, it would be a documentary. It wouldn't be about their relationships and what the coach's relationship with them is like and how their parents are affecting the way they feel about the game. And I think for a movie like Varsity Blues, you have a backdrop that is heavy in sport, but it's supplemented by what we really are there to watch, which is the on-screen drama. And I think the plus one there is the action on the football field, the the, the hard hits, the yelling from the sidelines, all that stuff that makes up what we love about the sport. I think that becomes supplementary. So in that regard, I think every movie that has at least 25% of its content centering around the actual sport is a sports movie. You know, the argument for Christmas movies, I think, is a lot more fluid (laughs) because you could say Stepmom with Julia Roberts is a Christmas movie because it ends on Christmas Day. And so everything leads up to that moment. But you could also make the argument that it's not. And I think that sports movies are a lot, from, from my money, are a lot more defining because of the fact that you're not ignoring the fact that a sport is happening, that an event is happening when it comes to football or basketball. Movies are that center around sports are usually promoted as such. They're not about a person and then they just happen to be a boxer or a person who just happens to be a pitcher. It centers around the sport with that person being the protagonist within that sport. So the sport in and of itself, I think, becomes the reason that people go to the movie. And then the person and the drama and everything around that really helps support that as a as a means for for great narrative. Yeah. So I I would take it that and I would go to the far extreme and I would say that every movie that we possibly think of as potentially ever being about sports is about sports. Because like you guys have kind of started to say here, everything that happens translates in some way or affects somewhat in some way affects what happens on the field or on the court or where on the track or whatever the in the boxing ring that person's life as an athlete whether it's one or many that we are following that is what they are doing it would be like saying this movie is not about banking when the person's an accountant and that no it's about banking if they're an accountant i mean I, you know what i mean and so I think people like to get caught up in kind of trying to be cute and say this isn't a sports movie. And I think probably where a lot of the pushback might come is I could see it for movies that don't show a lot of in-game action that are more focused on the drama off the field or off the court and don't show a lot of actual performance um, or, or actual sporting event. But even Varsity Blues is that's not the case. Like we have a, quite a bit of football action. I actually noticed that around this time. You know, there's there's a lot. There's several games that we get to see scenes from, um, and a lot of football movies have less. So 
I definitely think it's a sports movie, and I think that it was a really silly comment <laughs> that somebody was just using to try and fire me up, probably. Well, as we get into the movie now, and like we'll talk about some of the themes and stuff, I want to leave with something kind of funny. <laughs> At least I find it funny every single time, especially because the movie opens with, after an amazing opening narration um, with Jonathan Moxon and our man Dawson, James Vanderbeek. Uh, talking about West Texas football. It's a great, great opening narration and opening scene that really sets the stage for this movie on an emotional level. It gets you into that feeling of, of what's going to come and what's going to happen with the season. And man, I, I, I really do feel like I'm in West Texas at that time. And the score, I think, to this movie is very underrated. It does a great job of, of backdropping that narration. But right when we get into actual acting, the first scene is we get to meet Kyle and we get to see him only like three or four times throughout the film. Right. And Kyle is Mox's younger brother. And right off the bat, he is proposing a religious. I don't remember what he's doing first. I don't remember which one of the many religions he goes through. He is proposing, but he is well, he's on a cross. Yeah, he's Jesus. Yeah, he's being Jesus. That's right. And he comes out at breakfast and so here's my thing, guys. What do you think the point of that is? Is it purely comedic relief, or is there something deeper there? Is there something ironic even about the fact that we are about to see, see a movie where a town essentially considers football their religion, and here's this kid who doesn't want anything to do with sports going through the process of trying to find faith in something religious throughout the movie, even though it's a comedy? Am I the, do you see it as anything more than just a joke? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's comic relief uh, is part of it. Um, I think he is a kid who's growing up in a small town that is completely obsessed with football, and he, but he's not interested, and he wants to find his own way. And so he's seeking answers from a higher power, but I guess he doesn't know what that higher power is. So he is uh, first exploring, trying to figure that out. First and foremost, it is about comedy, but I, I could see where that would be. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's just something ironic about it because, you know, in, in West Texas, football is a religion, basically. So but he's see, searching out his own type of religion, too. I think first pass, it's definitely comic relief. And when you specifically open that up with I, I dig Christianity, I think that's very much getting you into the mindset of what life is like in the South, a very Bible Belt driven type of culture. But at the same time, when you think about this, you've got almost this juxtaposition between Kyle and Mox, who are both. One is it, it, it's interesting because Mox is very much definitive in that he doesn't want to play football. That's not what he wants to do. And yet he's part of this church and just a kind of empty follower. And then you have Kyle, who is really trying to discover what it is that he's trying to be and He's exploring these avenues that feel kind of weird over the course of the movie. But I think the fact is there's a constant idea of who am I that is explored throughout the narrative. And Mox is challenged with that. Um, 
You've got Billy Bob challenged with that. All of these characters are challenged with that question. Who am I when things change? And for Kyle, I think because he just kind of sifts through these different religions, he's aware of them. It's interesting that he, I guess if he's going to settle on one, he settles on his own. He creates his own cult, which I think is really on par with how people are. They're like, you know what? I don't fit it anywhere. So I'm just going to make my own truth. I'm going to make my own thing. Again, I don't think the creators were thinking that deeply into it. But when you watch a movie like this a number of times, you start picking up things like that. And the fact is, in a town where football is the religion, where football is they worship, you have two people who one is a an apathetic follower who doesn't buy into it, but is just trying to ride the the church Sunday until he graduates. And then you have this other guy who is really trying to make a point to figure out who it is I'm supposed to be. And by the end of the movie, he ends up almost being in line with everyone else being their own person and not apologizing for it. And I think that's a, a nice little small period on the exclamation point of this whole thing where we see Kyle eventually kind of being satisfied in who he is. Yeah, I agree. And I think that for me, you know, we talk about this all the time, Patrick, how your opinion or the way that you view a film, the lens that you watch it through is going to be different. If you watched it, you know, when I watched this, when I was 20 years old and I'm, Seriously, would watch it back to back to back to back to back, and then I'd watch The Water Boy in between, and then I'd watch it back to back to back to back again. Um, you know, over and over and over, I didn't pick up on this. I thought this was just hilarious and funny, and it made me laugh, and it was like, wow, that kid's weird. Like, that, that was my takeaway, right? Which is, I think, probably the intent. But because I am a different person now, I'm a father, and my mind is zoning in on why these parents are so dismissive of their children if all they all they want to do is talk football and we're going to get into that more in depth i think later but that was my takeaway on kyle is like this is a kid who can't get dad's attention because he doesn't play football and so what happens when you're trying to get your parents attention and you don't get it you start getting more and more absurd and more and more expressive more and more you know out there in a sense like you need to be you need to grab it you're trying to grab that attention and do something that says no like you can't just be like dad i'm gonna i'm gonna be a christian today that doesn't work so maybe i'll just walk downstairs and i'll like actually be jesus on a cross and he will have to acknowledge me but nope he doesn't he just brushes them aside right so i think that there's an element there of kind of hammering home which the film does several times of what it's like in this culture for a kid who isn't part of that football world in general and what it's like to try and find your place. Like you said, Patrick, your identity um, and find where you belong. But it's also really, really funny um, <laughs> on top of all that. So it works really good. So varsity blues is often dismissed because of its unflattering depiction of Texas high school student life. I would say that the majority of people that don't like this movie will talk about the whipped cream bikini and they will talk about tweeter and his antics and they will be like oh my gosh it's so gross it's so misogynistic yada 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 and they'll knock the movie because it's not put, setting a good example for people to follow i found this time around 
that it is really dealing with some heavy topics. And I thought that some of the issues that it brings up are way ahead of its time, honestly, and it handled them with a lot of grace and a lot of care. And it, I was, I was impressed. Like I've always loved this movie from an entertainment standpoint, but when I had to dig into it and think about it kind of critically for the podcast, the, some of this stuff started to pull out. Um, and I'm just going to throw three things out there and, and you can talk about whatever you want, but I just wanted to note these three specific topics that I saw. One of them is racism towards Wendell. It's a big deal. Um, nowadays, right? Racism is a huge thing in our culture that we're dealing with in our, in our society. Um, I mean, we have for centuries, but it's on the forefront of a lot of people's minds right now, uh, a lot of activism around it, even more so than there has been in the past, and this movie deals with that. It deals with what happens when there's an African-American kid who's your star football player in West Texas on your team of all-white guys. Um, it talks about what could happen, like how is it going to affect his career and, and so forth. We had concussion issues with Billy Bob. Some of it is played for laughs, but then there's some serious consequences to that that take place. Um, and we deal with that in this movie in a way that I thought was really, really, like I said, ahead of its time. This is one I was pointing to specifically. And then there's issues of pain med abuse, um, issues of drugs, taking drugs just to stay in the game, no matter what the risk is for your long-term health. This is something we've learned about athletes you know, hurting their careers and taking steroids and peds and such for, for decades now. And we see a lot of that in this one now. You know, what is the cost of winning now versus sacrificing your forever potential? So I really was happy to see these things because I thought that they were all deftly handled. Did any of them stick out to you particularly, JB? Yeah, I mean, you know, all of them. Yeah, I mean, they're way ahead of their time. I mean, it was a, a, it was just a couple of years later that it came out about Mark McGuire taking, uh, steroids. That was still ahead of his time, but not as bad. Like concussion protocol. Like they just like made a move on that like two years ago. <laughs> this movie is 20 years old and this guy like plays when his, he didn't, he shouldn't because his coach was making him play and he passes out on the field and the quarterback gets, you know, injured and it ruins his career and his, you know, his college scholarship that he has. He's probably not going to go to college now because he probably doesn't have the grades to do it. Um, but I mean, it completely changed somebody else's life who didn't have anything to do with the concussion. And all because the coach wanted to win the game, so he's going to keep his best player in there. He doesn't care whether he's hurt or injured or whatever. But seriously, we just made a move on that like a few years ago. I mean, way ahead of its time. And to see that, the way that was played out, was just, like you said, I was I was happy. Because I've always loved this movie. You know, looking back, this is, this is, this was my favorite movie in high school, and this was probably my favorite movie up until like, I don't know, it, it was just a few years ago. Like you said, it was ahead of its time, and it was Nostradamus on the football field. I think that when I watched this movie, I, I agree with both of you guys that it was ahead of its time. I think the, the downfall, not downfall, that's a bad word. I think the, the nitpick that I have is the fact that these three, critical areas that were addressed 
didn't seem to have a central focus. Like they were all mentioned, they were all addressed, and they all kind of had a resolution to them to some degree. If I had to go back and rewrite this, I would focus on one of those areas and let it be a subplot of what the the main narrative was because I think all of them had a lot of potential and they were they were addressed in a in a good way. I wanted more though. I wanted more of that racism towards Wendell, I think was it came to a head in the hallway locker conversation and then it found resolution and then for me uh, the right from the writing standpoint there was a convenient way to kind of move him off the screen because it wasn't about him it was resolved he got his touchdown and then of course he gets hurt however that led into the idea of the pain med abuse and the win at all cost and i think that right there was the big focal point that I honed in on this this time around because it kept coming back to that. That was a that was a factor for two folks, you know, for our quarterback and then for for Wendell. So you have a a focal point that that is important and is addressed, but I felt like all three of them were I think it was a little too much for me. But I think that they were handled well. I think they had their own conclusion and they had their own resolution. But I would have liked to have delved more into one rather than all three of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I actually think that there's more than these three. Uh, I was leaving some out there hanging. I, there's there's a dealing with suicide as well and depression that leads to potential suicide. Billy Bob is on the verge of killing himself. And that is the illusion that is made when we see him. And we learn, you know, that he felt like, Kilmer was a father to him. And so his world is coming crushing down. He's trying to deal with not being able to satisfy that man. And he's not getting the love of the person that he feels he needs love from. And he's dealing with that guilt about Lance and letting his teammates down. And, you know, we see Mox go out there and have to essentially talk him off of a ledge. And that was a pretty heavy moment like in this movie this is not just a comedy right and you're right patrick there are a lot of these things without and they're given a very short moment of dramatic weight not longer portions of the film so i think what it does well is it highlights a lot of these pressures a lot of these things that do take place in high school they may or may not all happen in the course of one football season but i think this is a big psa to the world of high school athletics and football specifically, where you have all these things that do exist in addition to the things that are played for comedy, like the excessive drinking and the stealing of cop cars and the ability for these gods of campus to get away with whatever they want. In a way, it's as if the creators behind this are saying, look, this is satirical, but there is some truth to this. This is sarcasm in a hour plus movie and we're highlighting these areas that do exist and there's a sense of awareness it's almost like you're you know when you're watching a movie about families and as a dad or a husband you laugh at these awkward moments for these jokes that are made because it's like oh my gosh yes i experienced that with my kid or yeah i remember when that happened between me and my wife and you're laughing about it but at the same time you're like yeah at the time, that was a really, really tense moment. We can laugh about it now 
And I think that's good writing. And so I think for a lot of what we see in the movie, it's a highlight reel, ironically, for a football movie. It's a highlight reel of things that go on in high school that maybe we either are aware of, but we don't fully want to necessarily experience. And so when you have it in the form of a dramedy, if that's what we're going to call it, um, I think it's more digestible and it's more accessible to the end user here. It's made by MTV. Let me just throw that out there. Yes, it is. That is correct. <laughs> uh, and I will say it's the best MTV movie ever made. It's got to be, right? I mean, because what else? I think is they it? also made 10 Things I Hate About You. So you might they get did. Patrick's argument on that. Yes. Uh, okay. let's, 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 yeah. He would be wrong if he argued, but he. <laughs> <laughs> he would be wrong. <laughs> so, I mean, it's MTV who has a connection with the young crowd. So I feel like they, I mean, they probably could have slipped this stuff in there. As a PSA, like you said, because they see what's going on with high school sports and something needs to be done about it. And no, they're not going to go up there and just completely speak out about it. When you're really loud about it, people don't tend to listen to you. You know, you look at, you know, Tim Tebow and Colin Kaepernick, you know, two opposite sides of the spectrum there. But I mean, people will discredit you. Uh, but the way they did it, like just kind of slip that stuff in there. It's really, really smart and really just this stuff is going on and everybody needs to be aware. And you may not even notice this for a few years, but you're going to notice it. You know, like it's just it, it, it's it's just really sly to me for them to do that. So, yeah, it's definitely a PSA without being a quote unquote PSA, you know, and, and it's it's what makes it genuine to me is what makes it realistic. It's not just a fantasy, fun, let's pretend this is what high school football is like. It's realistically what high school football is like. And so instead of like taking time to go down the whole storyline of the fact that Tweeter is supplying, you know, um, Lance with pain meds, we get these little pieces of character development through that scene. We see like, okay, this guy's on pain meds and you know, they're clearly getting them from somewhere and they're pushing themselves to the limit when they're not really healthy and they need to be more careful with their bodies, but they can't because they're stars and they need to achieve things. And it was getting us into their mindsets with these really quick little heavy hitters. Um, and that's what the racism stuff to me is like as well. Um, I don't think this movie's trying to solve racism by giving Wendell a touchdown, but it's making a point. That, listen, this guy is your workhorse, and, and this is something that really was an issue in sports for many years. That's a real thing. White people getting the touchdowns and black people doing all of the work or putting out all of the risk. White people getting the glory. Um, and so I love that the film kind of touches on that. And I like the way that the movie ends with its wrap-up of what people got to do. It talks about, like, Wendell going on to be successful. Um, his actual actor, I believe, played football. He was an, an athlete. He was one yeah. of the only one of them that actually was a star athlete as well. So that was kind of cool. Well, what does the movie get right other than these things about West Texas football life? Like, why is high school football so important to these characters, to the kids, to the adults, to the just not just the parents, adults, but the townspeople who give the kids free reign to do everything? These 22 district championships and two state titles, I think it is, for Kilmer, which makes me wonder, like, dude, what's wrong with you? Why can't yeah. you get another state title? He's, a, he's the greatest <laughs> runner-up ever. I know. I was like, mm, I, are we? should we really be, like, 
I, I, when he when he said that in his speech in the beginning this time, I was jotting down notes, and I immediately thought to myself, I was like, wait a second, and you're getting mad at Mox for wanting to change up the offense. Clearly, your offense can't take you anywhere other than the district state championship or state you know title or whatever. So if you want to win the next level, you need to change something, but you're unwilling to do so. Anywho, um, that's also a problem that for years um, was there. But like this movie started to usher in the spread offense, <laughs> like legitimately this film came about right at the time as Lincoln Riley was creating the spread offense and what Moxon was doing on the field. And I, I remember watching this in 1999. You can watch it now if you're like coming out in high school and you wouldn't think twice about it. You'd probably be like, why were they just running? You know, like you'd probably be more, it would be more strange to hear what they were doing in the beginning versus what Mox does on the field. But back in the day, <laughs> and you were like, we felt watching this movie, we were doing the like, wait a second, one, two, three, four, five on one side. Like, what are you talking about? That's wild. Now it, you know, every team has that, that package in their offense. I digress. Let me get back to my question was, what do you think this movie gets right about West, West Texas football life, JB, outside of the high school football setting itself? One of the things you said was, why is high school football so, so big in Texas? The Southwest Conference back in the day, they had Hall of Famers like Daryl Royal and Frank Broyles, Woo-Pig, um, and Hayden Fry and Gene Stallings and Bear Bryant was actually there. Um, you know, the Cowboys and even the Houston Oilers have a rich history in Texas. Um, kids in Texas grew up watching great football players like amazing top-of-the-line football players, and they wanted to be like them. And because Texas has so many colleges, like even D1 colleges, everyone thinks they have a shot. So, you know, it makes the high school football programs that much more competitive there because everybody's trying to get to the next level because there's so many places out there that they can find to play and so, yeah, they're, they're really like trying. So I think it gets that right. Like you know, high school football in Texas is just in the Southeastern culture that we're used to. You know, we're all about college football because, you know, we have one college team usually for all of our states, except for like what Mississippi and Alabama, I guess Florida, but whatever. Texas has like so many college teams and they get into high school because the high school program, like I said, is so competitive that people go to these games and they see all these guys who are competing to play at the college level. Uh, and, and they may go, they may go to other, play, like besides Arkansas, uh, what is the biggest recruiting state for Arkansas? Texas. Texas right. Yep. <laughs> you can say the same thing about what Louisiana. For most, most programs, it's probably Texas in the same. Probably. Yeah, exactly. You can say the same thing for Louisiana. You can say the same thing for Oklahoma. Missouri, like any, anybody in that region or even the South, they're looking into Texas. So yeah, I think it gets that right. It's that big and that important. It's like a local college team is what it is. When I look at the, the world of Texas football and in a similar way, the world of Arkansas football, you have this identity that lives in the small town. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's whose wife is from a small town. I think it's in, I don't know if it's in Arkansas or in Louisiana, but he was talking about the fact that in the last probably 10 years, three or four 
of these guys from the small high small town high school went on to play in the NFL. And I'm like, well, what are they doing down there? And, and he said, I asked the same question. And my response from my wife was, well, that's all they know how to do. That's the world. I mean, the only thing you do in those small towns is work out. And I'm not saying these small towns don't have anything to offer, but when you look at stories and movies that center around small town life, whether it's about a football team or in the case of like Hoosiers, there's a strong emphasis on the fact that if you don't play football, you don't get out of town. You don't go on to do anything else. You're stuck there. You're stuck in a small town that the biggest thing you have going for you is either a movie theater or a Walmart. And for a lot of kids, they either follow one path or the other. They either settle for the fact that this is going to be my life or I'm going to do everything I can to get out of that world. And I think that's with any small town and with any sport. And I think sports give you that opportunity to get into a college, to do something pretty spectacular. College seems to be the opportunity that you can have to go on and have more diverse opportunities to do something like Mox knew that he wasn't going to be playing football at Brown. And so he relied purely on his academics, yet he was still on the team. And it raises the question, what the heck's up with that? But you look at these other players like Billy Bob. Billy Bob clearly was not going to go anywhere outside of high school football. And so he put everything he had into that because he settled for the fact that his life was going to be there. It wasn't going to go further than maybe junior college. And that was okay with him. And I think that when you look at small town life, it's something valuable to look at the fact that not everybody needs to get out of town, that the town itself is not the enemy. But I think when you when you look at West Texas football in particular as an avenue to do something greater, whether you're the best at it or not, it seems to be a stepping stone to that. And when you have a hotbed of recruiting that exists in a big state like Texas, there seems to be more opportunities for that. And then it kind of breeds a lot more of these small towns to say, hey, let's be as competitive as we can be in the sport that gets the most exposure. Because Texas is a football state before anything else. It's not a basketball state, even though it has basketball. It's not a baseball state, even though it has baseball. It is a football state first and foremost. And if you want to succeed, the stigma is you play football or you get a job doing something that is local to your area in agriculture or farming or some kind of trade. Yeah, so I think what the root of that is, like that's the the effect or the, what is it? The, I can't think of the right word. That's what comes after. Um, but what, what it gets to at the root of it is what Mox talks about in his opening monologue. And he's talking about, he says in America, we have laws, laws against killing, laws against stealing is accepted that as a member of an American society, you will live by these laws. But in West Canaan, Texas, you never questioned the sanctity of football, that football is a way of life and that that was the law and that that was what you would live by was that that mantra, that win at all costs, and football, football, football. And what that gets to the root of is it's a parental thing. It is passed down from generation to generation. And at some point, 
these things don't change until the generation makes a choice. But as long as the parents who lived this way are trying to impart their lives and the way that their lives went onto their children and not allowing their children to go their own way and make their own path in life, then this is going to continue. It's going to be a cycle. And that's what we see happening in this film. And that's what we see in West Texas and in these small towns. And I think the reality was that not only is it degenerational, there's there's those factors that are external. There wasn't as much exposure, whether it's TV exposure or internet exposure. These things come to those areas much slower than they do other parts of the world, like big cities. And so those parents and those generations are slower to adapt and adjust and change. And when you have that, there's only so much you can blame the child, right? Like if you grow up and your dad is telling you it's all about football. Billy Bob is a great example, Patrick. Like we said, Billy Bob thought of Coach Kilmer as a co- as a father figure. If that's the example that's being set for you, then that's what you're going to do to try and please your father. So it's not really it's not your fault. It's not like your people would say Oh, Billy Bob, why are you making that choice? Just go do something else. Billy, For Billy Bob, it's not a choice. It's not a matter of making a conscious choice. It's a matter of what he has been told is his life and him just trying to follow up and continue that. And so that's what we see so much. And it drove me crazy watching it this time. Just I, I, My heart always hurts when I see kids like being parented poorly. And Mox's dad makes me want to break his face. I'm, I literally cheer when he gets his nose broken. What the heck is wrong with me, right? Like... But both Mox's dad and Lance's dad, they're like two sides of this disgusting, toxic parenting where you're living through your child. They're those parents that they aren't accomplishing anything that they're proud of in themselves. And so their identity is in the success of their children. And I get it somewhat because I'm a dad who has a son who's really good at soccer and he just quit this fall and decided to stop playing on a certain select team that he's been on for a decade and part of me struggled and I went through this and I was like man I but I want you you sure about this and and I had to step back I had to think about it and go do I want you to continue being out on that field because I really think it's what you want the most or is it because of this vision that I have for what I think you could become and I want to push you towards that and I and I had to evaluate myself and so I understand it And it just makes me sick to see parents like outwardly ignoring kids like Kyle. And, you know, when he completely says to Mox about when Mox says, I got into Ivy League, I got into Brown. And he's like, I want to talk about the game. (laughs) I'm like, dude, just walk out. Like, I mean, I'm done. I'm done at that point. And I think I think that culture exists again. um, Pudo's on MTV and, and the book itself for like creating a lens in which we can evaluate that and look at it and not and do so in a way that's sort of humorous, but very clearly tells us through the way the movie is going that this is not the way you should parent your kids. Yeah, I was actually going to mention that about him getting that acceptance letter into Brown, like and he just immediately wanted to talk about the game. I was like, dude, like really? He's wanting to discuss something that's not going to matter 20 years down the road over his college future in the ivy league uh, it, anyway i digress <laughs> that's okay i believe me it really rattled me this time i was just like man are you are you kidding me are you kidding me i wanted to just i, I wanted to pull his dad aside and give him a talk to 
myself. Speaking of Mox and playing football, I have a question. If Mox doesn't ever get to play, Mox is a senior, guys, and Mox has been riding the pine for four years behind Lance is what we would assume. Why is he still on the team if in his senior year he's just been there, he's going through the motions, he's still reading Vonnegut during games or during practices? He has to practice. Not during a game. He'd probably get more. Well, it was during a game. No, it was during a game, wasn't it? It was during a game. Why is he there? Why do you think he's there? What I said earlier about relationships. I mean, Mox stays on the team because he's loyal to his teammates. They're like brothers to him. Uh, and he knows that if something were to happen and Lance goes down, they're going to need him. And I think probably deep down by that, by that, uh, uh, altercation with the, um, the football challenge where they were like, when he asked him, do you think you're better than my boy? And he sat there like, I don't really want to answer this. I think deep down he knew he was a better quarterback than Lance. You know, Lance is a great game manager in a running system, but Mox is a passing quarterback. Uh, I, so I think deep down that he knew that he was better. Uh, he was just going to ride it out and, you know, have a good time with his friends. And if they needed him, he wanted to be there for them because he's just that loyal of a friend to, you know, Billy Bob and Tweeter and even Lance. I mean, if Lance goes down, you know, he, he wants to know that his, that his buddy is there to help to step in for him. Yeah. I think there's definitely some loyalty there. I mean, we're kind of shown early on. I love that great shot at the very beginning of Mox looking at the peewee picture with, with him and, and the rest of the team. I also think it's the path of least resistance. In that if he had this talent, the pressure from his dad especially is one that he probably just doesn't need to hear. And I figure if he says, I can ride the pine pony and not get any kind of flack from my dad because I'm not playing because coach isn't putting me in, not because I'm choosing not to. I think for him, it is just riding out the storm. And I think that's a combination of that loyalty because I don't really ever see at least it's it's not set up clearly for me that he's ready to go in at any given point. Like he's clearly there to play a part, but he's banking on the fact that Lance is not going to go down. Lance is the star. He's going to be protected. And so when he goes in and he does his thing, it's a little surprising because he doesn't necessarily have that kind of focus. He's reading Vonnegut for goodness sakes. And so then he goes into the game and, he does what he needs to do, which I think is motivating for the course of the story. And I think from a story standpoint, he's got to be on the team in order to go in for the quarterback. So that's a that's a very obvious storytelling point you want to make and a choice you got to take. But I think if you're talking about motivation, to me, I think he's just taking the path of least resistance. I would agree. I, you know, I actually would compare it again to my son in a way because – what I learned watching him this past summer, he was playing up a couple of grades and the team with some boys that were much older and bigger and physically stronger than him. And so he could get on the field for, you know, 10 minutes of a game during a tournament match. And we spent the entire weekend at this tournament and he played, you know, a handful of minutes for the most part. There are kids that are built for winning that want to win at all costs and are super competitive. And those are the kids that are starting and sports and that are in high school getting scholarships to go to college etc and then there are kids who enjoy playing a game 
whether they're good at it or not, and love doing that activity with their friends. And what I learned about my son is he's a good soccer player. He's better than average. He wants to go out and play soccer and have fun and play with his kid, with his friends. And winning and losing is not the most important thing to him. It really isn't. And I see that in Mox. And you see that Mox has the talent. I mean, he goes out there during practice and he's running the oop-de-oop and he's talking to Lance and he's talking to his buddies. That's what it's about for him to me is it's about, like you guys said, that camaraderie, those friendships. Like he wants to enjoy the time with those guys. He doesn't want to go to some other football team and play on another football team. If he was to transfer high schools, would Mox still play football? My answer is absolutely not. Not in a million years do I believe he would do that. So I think that that's really what it is about too. Um, and it makes sense. And I, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think that there's a place for that. Tyler's starting up tennis this year in spring. God help me. Out of nowhere, he's going to be playing high school tennis. And the truth is that he is largely doing this because his friend wants to start playing tennis. And he's got a couple buddies on the team. And he's going to have fun with it. And as long as he's having fun with it, then he can stay there and, and keep doing it. you know. And he puts out effort. And I saw Mox put out effort, so I'm good. Well, what do you think of the fact that Coach Kilmer, so we go from protagonist, I guess, to the antagonist, who's supposed to be their mentor, your coach, supposed to be the safe place that parents allow their kids to go learn under, is that antagonist in this film and is not like they are in similar other films. Like, I, I would say that Kilmer acts very differently than in some other movies where you might see a hard coach or a coach that is a little rough around the edges. I think Kilber might push that boundary and be a little bit more unique than that. Um, what do you think about that? And are there any other movies that you would compare a coach Kilmer to? I've been thinking about that. Like, cause it's, it's crazy. I, I, I feel like it was, uh, it's very unique because you know, you look at other movies and you're right. I mean, there are coaches that are just hard nosed that are going to make you drink out of a dry water hose and coach, uh, Herman Boone, he was a hard coach and, and, and remember the Titans, but he wasn't evil. <laughs> you know, like he was wanting the best interest for the players, but man, Bud Kilmer is straight up like an evil villain is what he is. I think because it's made by MTV. They, you know, they're, they're playing to their crowd and, you know, who watches those movies and the whole stick it to the man mentality. And, you know, a lot of times I'm, I'm assuming this happens, you know, that you have coaches. I've, I mean, I've, I've known coaches to be really competitive, but I'm sure that some coaches could take it to the edge and like, look, I'm all about me and my titles. And, you know, my district championships, my 23rd district championship, and I'm going to win at all costs. And I don't care what happens and who gets hurt or whatnot. I'm going to just keep pumping, uh, cortisone into your knee so you can keep running and, or whatever he was putting in there. I assume it was cortisone. Kool-Aid. Um, he's putting Kool-Aid in there. Kool-Aid. He's putting, <laughs> he's putting Kool-Aid in there. But like, yeah, I mean, it's just it, he's just straight up selfish, all about what I want, and 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 I don't care who I stop on and who I hurt in the process. Uh, and he's supposed to be the mentor for these kids. Uh, I assume that there are guys like that out there. I just can't imagine it. And so, it, to me, this is most unique thing about this movie 
and refreshing that like you see somebody who's supposed to be a good guy, uh, like you said, a mentor for the kids, a, a shaper of, a, of young men to grow up to be older men, but to be just some complete evil villain in the movie. And that is just mind blowing. And I didn't really think about it back then because I was, you know, 16 years old or however old when I was, when that movie came out, I guess I just saw him as an authority figure who was a jerk, but no, like the dude's straight up evil. Like, and that's that to me, that's revolutionary for 1999, um, for them to just bring that out there. Uh, and I can't really compare him to anything. Well, I definitely think he's personified in a way that helps to, juxtapose against Mox and his crew and what they're really trying to fight for. And that's good for the movie because we need a villain. We need someone that they can, Mox particularly, can play off of. Because to make the comparison, you talked earlier, Aaron, about the fact that this movie and Friday Night Lights were based off of the book as a source material and then subsequently a great TV show. We have we have a coach that is not like the coach that's depicted in Friday Night Lights. There is, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, but just as a little tease, you've got Billy Bob Thornton's coach and character who adapts to his players. He understands what his quarterback needs, and so he talks to him appropriately versus how he talks to his running back or his receivers. He's a tough coach, but he's just that. He's a coach, whereas I think Kilmer is meant to be a character who depicts that win-at-all-cost mentality to show that opposite standpoint of, are we really doing this for him, or are we doing this for us? And I think it lets us as an audience really ask that question, what's more important, winning for your coach or winning for yourself, or winning for your team? And when you have a message like that that's depicted, you need a character and one that comes from a place where you're supposed to trust him, which I think the scene with Billy Bob is is such a fantastic one because the way he cries and the way he says he was like a father to me, it really goes to emphasize the fact that, wow, what kind of life did you have before Bud Kilmer came along? Was it really that bad that Bud Kilmer is what you're settling for? And I think from an emotional standpoint, that really allows us as an audience to dig in and say, we want these kids to succeed as much as we want him to fail. We want him to be fired. We want him to lose. And there's tension there right before the finale where we're like, how can we get both? How do we get a win for Mox and his crew and a loss for Kilmer? And we're in that with them. And I think that it speaks to the teamwork aspect and an idea that that Varsity Blues is really trying to get us on board with. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, ultimately, like one of the big scenes that kills it for me is when he looks over at the cops who are actually starting to realize that maybe they need to do their job. And they're like, stole a cop car like we did some dumb stuff but like we're gonna allow that like maybe they're crossing the line and you see the townspeople even starting to make some of those changes and kilmer just looks at him with that awful like gaze and says you know are my boys being too hard too much trouble for you and they're like no no coach you know and like you see how much power he exerts over the actual law enforcement and a different movie 
that was not treating him as a strict villain might show a similar scene in which he is able to get his boys out of trouble while also yelling at them and telling them that they need to clean up their act, that he can't keep doing it, right? Where it would show this coach has this level of power in the community and he's using it. And so there's a gray or ethical, you know, area there where we don't necessarily think it might be the right thing. But on the flip side, he's at least telling them, like, look, you got to stop. We don't see that with Kilmer. Kilmer, the, the, the depiction of Kilmer we get is like, he doesn't care. They can do whatever they want. It doesn't matter as long as they're on that field. And so he's not concerned about actual reality of, of their actions. Um, I, I do think that he has some good points in this movie, too, though, which is what makes him a really great character is he's not one note. There's one point where he's yell, he's going off on them after that loss where Mox takes him to the strip club. And he says, the hard work is so many sacrificed by the disrespect of a few. He's 100% right in that moment about that game. That game, those guys let the rest of their teammates down. And Kilmer's right. Now, I think he ultimately is angry from a very personal perspective, right? Like, he's he's considered for him himself, but he's got a point. And I think that um, it would have been nice to maybe see them realize that more that it does affect there's more teammates out there than just their little crew. I thought we did focus in on that a little bit, maybe too much, but Kilmer had some good points, but also definitely an evil guy. Well, Ali Larder's career, uh, we're going to talk about the women for a second. She has unfortunately become pretty much synonymous with the whipped cream bikini scene in this film. That is what people remember. And I know a lot of folks who would say that women are not treated well in this movie and that they're not given very big roles and it's all about men. And Okay, it's about a high school boys football team. Of course it's about men. My question to you guys is, what do you think about the way that the girls are treated in Varsity Blues? Well, uh, to me, Jules, mainly Jules, I mean, she's she is Mox's moral compass throughout the movie. You know, she's the reason that he wants to be better. And from the movie, from him... You know, she pushes him to be better with her wisdom from the time at the Tasty Freeze where he has a gut check moment about who he really is because of what she's saying to him to the night before the big game, which we'll talk about later. She is there to say, do you want some cheese with that wine? <laughs> she's there for him to influence him to consider who he was and who he wanted to be and to step up be the man, be the hero, like Aaron pointed out earlier. Heroes is what it's about. Uh, to me, she drives the Jonathan Moxon character. And she's like exactly what, biblically, what our, our help meet is supposed to be, someone who makes us better, someone who, who helps us in life. You know, anyway, I mean, she, she is a, a supportive a, a person that, that he can go to to make him a better man, make him a better player and do the right thing. And when he's whining to call him out on it, <laughs> I look at the two females in this, which are, as you mentioned, both sort of polar op. They're, they're really polar opposites in terms of their confidence level. And I think that's by design. It could be argued that Mox is 
a savior in this case because he doesn't go through with the whole whipped cream bikini thing and they're friends and they're, you know, they're, she's gaining confidence because of that. But I think that when you have these two characters depicted on screen, they're not meant to necessarily be completely fleshed out because as you mentioned, Aaron, this is about a boy's game here. This is about Mox and his kind of journey. And I think what we have here is an opportunity to show the pressures of what life is like on the female side of high school and how it can be to a place where someone has to ride the coattails of their boyfriend in order to get out of town in order to be successful. And I don't think it diminishes her character to walk her through that journey because I think what she ends up doing is she doesn't get a coda. Like we're not told, Hey, what happens to her? But there's hope because of the fact that she realizes she doesn't need that, that she's actually better than that. And I think when we have someone like Darcy evolve over the course of the film that way, we kind of get on board with that hope that, you know what? Life can go beyond a relationship. I don't have to be defined by where my significant other is. I can actually live my own life. And I wish that there was a lot more depth with these, with these two women. I think if varsity blues existed today, there would be a lot more care taken with these two characters. I think there would be a little bit more fleshed out type of journey for these two because it it can be argued that they're very they can be shallow and that they're sort of highlighted as like okay here's who she is here's who that person is and eventually they're going to get their resolution but i don't think that was the intent of the filmmakers i think it was a chance to really use them as a way to say hey look life goes beyond this high school and also your boyfriend can be kind of an idiot too and you need to speak into the fact that he needs to be told you're you're being an idiot. And so in a lot of ways it's it's entertaining to say the least, but I think there's there's something there as far as some depth with both of them. Yeah, so I, I don't have any problem with them actually at all. And I think that we sometimes it's easy to criticize a movie from the past about the depictions of characters that are what we would call stereotypical. For one thing, stereotypes exist for a reason, because those people actually exist. And this is part of the West Texas football culture. This is the way, and it is consistent with, the rest of the way the town views the sport. And it's great that we have Jules. I mean, Jules is the one connection we really have to, like, reality check for everybody. She's the one person that's actually got her eye on getting out. You know, Mox does, but he's still playing that game, still towing the line, hanging with his friends, staying in the team, trying to kind of play both sides and just get through it. Jules is straight up like unapologetically, I know this place is not good for me and I am not going to let myself get drugged down by anything here. I'm going to prepare for my future and I'm going to go do it. And I'm going to be honest about all my decisions and I'm going to tell you why. And 
I love that, and I love her character for that reason, and I think the movie would be way worse without her. I think it's fine because she exists to play that role. And I also, I think the Darcy character exists. I've experienced it, to be honest. Like, I've had that exact situation happen. Well, no, I mean, I've never been a quarterback laying in my, you know, depending on who I was, but I, I've, I've been in a position where a girl acted in similar ways to Darcy in high school. So it's not like these things don't occur. And the movie is not trying to say that all cheerleaders everywhere are completely shallow and just want to follow on the footsteps of a star player to get out of town. That's not what the movie is trying to say. They're trying to say in this town and in the story that we're telling you about this star player and what happened in his life, this is what his girlfriend was like. You know what I mean? And so I think it's great on the movie that we actually do get some depth and we get some development in her and it's a wonderful little storyline that Mox doesn't go through with things that he holds off and he doesn't cheat. Mike, I mean, I guess he does, but like the fact that he stops himself is also something that is not common for this era of film. And it's very un MTV, frankly, like you would not expect that to happen in an MTV movie <laughs> at all. You would expect him to go through with it, right? I love that he doesn't. And in doing so, he helps her recognize her own self-worth. And then she can subsequently embrace that and realize that she is more than just a quarterback's girlfriend. So I think it's handled really well. And I love the evolution of her character and the way things play out. And, and of course, and of course, Jules, I think is just awesome. And what's really neat, guys, trivia, Allie Larder and Amy Smart, since filming this movie, have been best friends for the last 20 years. They're still best friends today. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, that's yeah, really pretty neat. Well, last before the thing before we get to uh, connecting points, we need to talk about the football. It's not a theme or whatever. It's not emotional. I guess it could be for JB who has been on a football field in games. But what do you guys think of the actual game footage? Because when we talk sports movies, how the sport is depicted as an actual in effect sport going on on the field is pretty important. Did you like how the, the shots on the field were depicted for us, JB? Did you think it felt accurate to your experience? Yeah, I mean, I think it felt very accurate. I mean, especially, you know, when, what you talked about with race and, and with Wendell being the, the workforce for the team, it really showed him in that game that Moxon did give him that touchdown. It showed him running the football, running, like it highlighted him during that entire series there and like, and how good he was and how agile. I mean, it was, it was just the shots from where they were uh, shooting it. You don't see that. in like, you know, watching a college football game or whatever from the angles that they were shooting it, it was just cool to watch. But yeah, to show that and highlight that it, it drives the, uh, the subplot that you were talking about. But yeah, that, that as far as the action goes though, like at the time, I don't really think we had seen anything like it. you saw a lot of on-field action in this movie. And, you know, since then, we've probably seen movies with more. But this was 1999. You didn't really see that a whole lot um, because every movie had to have some kind of plot that uh, people were going to watch for. Like you said, if you didn't play the sport, that you would still want to watch it. If you didn't like the sport, you would still want to watch it. But this, this really had a lot of action. A lot of football action, and I, I, I was pleased with it. 
I mean, it, it seemed real and legit. So, so one of the things that I picked up on, uh, I absolutely agree with both of you guys. I think it's a fantastic uh, depiction of dramatized football because you go to a high school football game and <laughs> look, if, if you're from a school like mine, there's not a lot of dynamic plays. I mean, it's mostly just run and hopefully you can get six yards and occasionally you'll have a guy break one or you'll see the quarterback throw a decent pass, but more often than not, it's usually a, a miss <laughs> because we didn't have great quarterbacks uh, when I was in high school, but there were anytime I got to see a run with the camera tracking it at a low angle. I thought those are some of my favorite shots because it showed the speed. It showed the amount of dynamic action that took place. The fact that it felt like a, like a, like a foot race. Cause that's what it was. It felt like a chase. And you had that sense of, of drama in those moments combined with the soundtrack and the score that was, that was, uh, used so effectively. I also like the fact that we saw Mox in the huddle, you know, saying go instead of hut and how it felt very fast. Like even when he was coming down, I guess at the end of the game when he had to come in where he had to spike the ball or where he didn't spike the ball, he was going to, and then he ended up passing it. Seeing those gave that audience a sense of urgency. And I think that that's lost when it comes to actually watching from the sidelines because you don't necessarily have that kind of action on the field. I mean, you're waiting and you go and you wait and you go. And that's the big, that's the big criticism with football as opposed to something like rugby where it's like stop and go, stop and go, stop and go. And I thought that when you watch these sequences take place, you felt that urgency. You felt that tension of like, oh my gosh, we only have a minute left. Oh my gosh, Twitter didn't get out of bounds. Hurry, 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 hurry. That last set of plays was high tension. And I felt that when I was watching. And I've always felt that when I've watched this, even though I know what the outcome's going to be. I love the fact that I can get that feeling because of the way that it shot that way. Yeah, I, I agree totally. Both of you guys, the low shots are super epic and look really great. They they make you feel like it's moving faster than probably it really is. And the way that they tracked out a few times to show full football field shots, it was never like full on aerial views. Like in a lot of movies, they feel like they need to show you what's going on in all 22 players on the field. And this movie did not. This movie was allowed to get in the visor, essentially, of a player. Like, we, we didn't get first-person shots, but it, it was able to follow a running back or follow a quarterback passing to a specific wide receiver and didn't feel like we needed to show you what was happening on the left side of the field where the play was not actually developing. And so by focusing in, you got to feel a lot closer to that action, so it felt a lot more tense, Patrick, like you said. And to me, i got to say, the soundtrack helps, man. The soundtrack helps. The soundtrack is awesome, and it pumps you up and they used excellent choices of songs in moments. And I think what I took away is that there's actually less football played than I, in my head, feel like is played. Because the scenes are so dynamically shot that it makes me love them. And it, and it just gives me a sense that I saw more than I did. I, that's how I... I feel when I walk away from this movie, there's really not a ton of football shown. Some of the games they show, they only, they only give us one or two plays from them. But because of how 
really cool each play is. We don't get a bunch of superfluous ones. They all feel like they have a, an importance to them. They're all either building to something or showing you a very specific moment in the game. I just thought that it was really, really, really well done um, as well. So it's one of my favorite movies for watching the actual football action. And, uh, you know, they did a good job because Vanderbeek had to learn to throw a football. I'm sure that that's not really him throwing it 60 yards down the field. Even if he is wearing a jersey number, paying homage to Brett Favre, he's not the old gunslinger. Well, guys, this has been great. Let's go ahead and wrap things up with the old connecting points. I believe we have three different ones, so we will have some things to discuss here, I suppose. Uh, JB, we'll let you go first as our guest. What was your connecting point? Well, I was happy that I did find something that was different. On this rewatch, it, it never really stuck out to me until this time. But Kilmer says before the big game at the end, he says, you know, this game is 48 minutes for the next 48 years of your life. Well, halftime comes and Vanderbeek, he recounts that. And I'm going to read this, this speech in, in, in its entirety. Before this game started, Kilmer said, you know, 48 minutes for the next 48 years of our lives. Well, I say F that. <laughs> I think that's dead wrong. You know, let's go out there and we'll play the next 24 minutes for the next 24 minutes. And we'll leave it all out on the field. We have the rest of our lives to be mediocre. But we have the opportunity to play like gods for the next half of football. But we can't be afraid to lose. There's no room for fear in this game. If we go out there, give it less than our all because we're scared, then we're le- all we're left with is an excuse. We're always going to wonder, but if we could go out there and give it our absolute best, well, that's heroic. Let's be heroes. When he said that, it triggered me because... um yeah, we have the rest of our lives to be mediocre. Let's be heroes. In life, you know, we really have to learn to com- compartmentalize a lot of things. Uh, things that really shouldn't be that important to us, like sports, hobbies, work, whatever. Um, you know, it's really easy to let stuff like that take complete control over us and our lives to revolve around it. You know, a lot of us, have kids and or spouses. Everyone has relationships that are important. And, you know, we have opportunities to be a positive influence on others. And, you know, that doesn't mean that we're going to take our work and our hobbies lightly. That's the point. Well, while we're doing them, he says we have the opportunity to play like gods for the next half of football. While we are doing our job or whatever, even if it's a hobby, we need to give a hundred percent to that, especially our work, because I mean, that's important. You know, we have people that depend on us. Um, but we should be giving 100% while we're there. You know, all of our time, all of our effort. And I'm, I'm guilty of, of not giving all of my time and effort while I'm at work even. Um, but we should be, uh, we should be giving all of our effort to do a good job, help out our company, um, because that's what we're there for. That's what we're getting a paycheck for. That's how we're supporting our family. Even if we just have a, even our hobbies too, we should really try to be our best at it and do well. I mean, but at the end of the day, when we're done with that, when we need to like leave it at work or leave it on the golf course, 
you know, whatever it is. And it doesn't need to revolve us. uh, Our lives don't need to revolve around it. When we get home, we need to be focusing on our kids and our spouses or, you know, what relationships we have. And we need to, to devote our time to others and making an impact on their lives. There are more important things in the world than sports. And there's more important things in the world than our jobs. Um, and I, 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 it really just stuck with me this time. Um, we're, we're not going to be reliving these 48 minutes for 48 years of our lives because our entire lives are not going to revolve around a high school football game. But during these next 24 minutes, we can give 100% of our time, our talent, our effort to, to do well here. And that translates to life. We can give 100% to everything that we're doing, but we can't lose sight to what really matters. And it's not a high school football game. Good stuff. Good stuff, man. Um, Patrick, what about you? What was your connecting point this time? Well, for some reason, I honed in on the conversation that Mox has with Jules after the game that he comes in on and ends up winning. He goes to the convenience store. He gets that, what, one liter of Coke. And um, as you guys mentioned earlier, he basically gets it traded out for a six pack. And, you know, he doesn't doesn't really hesitate, goes and sits on the corner of a store. And then, of course, Tweeter comes around with the with the. With the the cop car and he's got the naked girls in it and you know it's all played for laughs and he's sitting there just drinking, but then he might he makes his way over to to Jules' house and he's you know throwing pebbles at the window and you see him sitting there and he's talking to her and she's like how you doing and he basically says I don't know this this just feels weird and she goes do you want me to come down and he goes no I think I'm just gonna keep walking for a little while. And as I was thinking about that moment, I started trying to put myself in his shoes. Here's a guy who for, I guess the last two or three years, you know, he's a senior now. He knows what he wants. He's going to Brown. He's getting an academic scholarship. This football nonsense is just that it's nonsense. And now he's gotten a taste of something different. And for the first time, he doesn't know what he wants. And I think it really begins to eat at him that he doesn't, that for the first time in his life, he doesn't have that confidence. Life could look a little different. And of course, he got a spark of that at the convenience store with getting the beer for free. But I think that even in that, he thought it was kind of surreal. And I think I'd I'd like to think that over the course of that night, he didn't get a lot of sleep. He thought through, what's my life going to look like now? What's the next step? Am I going to Brown? Do I have the potential to do something else? And, of course, as the movie progresses, as the story goes on, he gets in that great moment where he says, you know, Jonathan Mox is only one man, and I just want to thank God. And and you know, Jules just calls him out on that. And we laugh. But I think he's playing a part and I don't think he necessarily believes any of the stuff that he's saying. But that moment with her, I think, is so tender because I think it's a really fantastic place of vulnerability. And I think it exposes his relationship with her and how deeply he trusts her, but how he's not ready to give that to her. He's not ready to say, 
you know what? This is really scary. I don't know that I want the life that I've been gunning for for the last three or four years. I'm starting to potentially rethink this. I felt that way where you've had that taste of success and it kind of derails your mentality a little bit. And you say, you know what? I could take this path. I am a good quarterback. I could do this. But at what cost? And I think that beginning stage really connected with me because I was able to say, I get that. I get that tension that he feels. And I also get that reaction of just wanting to grab something to drink, whether it's a beer or a Coke or or whatever, and just take a walk and just think through things, even if I don't get any answers. But there's a, there's a real sense of like peacefulness that comes and a sense of self-reflection that I think speaks to who, who Mox is. I mean, he is an introvert. He is someone who is very self-reflective and this moment really challenged who he was because life was for sure. This is what my life was going to be. So he was challenged with it just like everyone else in the movie. And when the, you know, quarterback goes down, his life changes just like everybody else's. And he has to ask himself and he has to confront his own self and say, what do I really want? And of course it sets up the the rest of the story, which, uh, which is just entertaining and fantastic. Yeah, man, good stuff. I actually did hone in on part of that moment specifically, like the going for a walk thing was really neat to me this time. The grin on his face, Vanderbeek just nails that look that completely like shocked. Like I, I don't know what I'm, I'm overwhelmed with pride right now and I don't feel like I should be, but I am and I can't really hide it. It's, I've, I've felt that. I felt that about the podcast even um, when people have comment, complimented us or, you know, I've seen reviews online and I've been like, man, like I feel myself with just joy and pride and I'm trying to like remind myself that I'm humble and I'm confused. And so I felt all of that really strongly in his performance of that too. Mine also is a conversation with Jules, but it's the, final conversation with Jules. Well, I guess it's not the final conversation. The final conversation is like one awesome line that I quoted earlier, but it's right before the last football game. And he goes to see her and he tells her about Brown. Of course, she's very congratulatory and she says she's proud of him. But I'm going to read this in case you haven't watched the movie recently, because this isn't really about the football stuff that you might have forgotten. So he tells her Kilmer's threatening to screw up my scholarship if I don't play by his rules. And she says, then quit. He goes, I can't. And she says, then play. It's just a football game. He goes, no, it's not. And she says, if it was just football, I'd play. I love football when it's pure. But this, this isn't pure. And she goes, I don't understand. (laughs) And as an audience member, I'm actually thinking the same thing. Like, I don't understand either what you're saying. And he says, if I play for Kilmer tomorrow and we win, he wins. One of you guys mentioned that earlier. Wes Canaan will go on believing he's the best coach that ever lived. What about the next team he coaches and the one after that? What if my little brother ends up playing for him? I'd be buying into everything that's wrong with this town. And she goes, you want some cheese with that wine? You're a whiner. Why don't you just step up and play the hero? And then she goes into the you know explanation of what a hero is. For me, this hit me like a ton of bricks for some reason. And I'm also very plugged into the game industry. And the game industry in this past week, video game world, has had some major allegations of sexual abuse against pretty well-known developers 
and people in the industry. So it's, it's a lot like what we've seen from Hollywood the last couple of years with the Me Too era. And that's where my mind went when I heard this conversation was, why don't you just step up and play the hero? And Mox acknowledging that if you don't stop the behavior and if you don't stop the abuse and the unethical actions that are being carried out by Kilmer every day on all of these kids, you can't expect future generations not to be affected. It's going to continue. And someone has to take the chance. And he says at the end of this conversation with her, he says, what if I lose? And that's pretty much where we like end it. Like he's asking himself that question. And you got to take the chance. Like that's what it's all about. And, and that's what everything builds to with JB, your connecting point and him being willing to do that. Him being willing to go to Kilmer and say, you put that needle in Wendell's leg and I'm not going out there. And then everybody else saying, none of us are going out there. And him actually making that stand he's choosing his friend's health he's choosing safety of all of the people in that football team over the potential glory of the outcome that they could have and that is to me where he is a hero that action they go back on the field they win the game that's awesome and that is wonderful but it wouldn't matter if they lost because he already accomplished the heroic act and that was standing up to Kilmer and sending Kilmer packing and stopping the abuse that was happening in this town in this football program, hopefully forever changing the culture of West Canaan. So for me, that whole conversation just like, I don't know, it was like, it was really heavy on me and it resonated big time because I had seen a tweet from someone talking about how, you know, so many people we hear about, especially women have been abused and it takes a lot for them to be willing to speak up. And what happens? They get slammed and told that nobody believes them and all these things. And it would have been very similar here because people want to take part in some of that, you know, the glory. They want to have a piece of that for themselves and they don't want to let that go either. So just really strong for me this time around. And that was my connecting point. Surprising that none of our connecting points was the, I don't want your life. <laughs> but it's almost, it's like a layup. It's like a layup. Sometimes this happens in movies where it's like, you know, that's so obvious. Yes, indeed. Well, JB, where can people find you if they want to keep the conversation going on social media? Well, I am in the feeling film discussion group, but I actually, some of my friends tell me that I'm in way too many Facebook groups, but I don't care. I actually met Aaron in a group called Bibles and Brackets where we vote on like ridiculous brackets but for like, you know, whatever kind Very of Very ridiculous. Very <laughs> ridiculous brackets. And I, I got to give them a shout out because my buddy Jeff Norman, they made me an admin, so I'm going to give them a shout out. But I, I got a couple of groups that I uh, started. Um, one of them is called Bibles and Baritones. I came out with that out of the Bibles and Brackets group. It's just, it's a group of guys people that talk music whether you're a musician or a singer or you just love music we just we just talk about that mainly my, my group is the reformed sec tavern where we talk sec sports and pretty much really any sport uh but we also we we talk about theology some we talk about i mean we we, we have different things or whatever but it's it's it revolves around sports and if you like sports uh you can see me there um but that's kind of where I'm at usually most of the time. 
Fantastic. Well, listeners, be sure to check them out in any of those Facebook groups, especially ours, because we're going to do a shameless plug for that anytime we can. And that wraps up another episode here at Feel and Film. Coming up this week, just a few days late, we celebrate the 80th anniversary of August donor pick by conversing about The Wizard of Oz. And then just a few days later, we go back to Derry, Indiana, and hang out with the Losers Club as we discuss it Part two with Celeste Davis on the call. Aaron JB, thank you guys for a great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group, A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.